Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Welcome to the Bible class this morning. Uh, this morning we're looking at Luke 5, 1 through 16. Um, we'll continue with Luke um, uh, next couple weeks. The second Sunday after Easter, which is the last Sunday of this month, the 24th. We'll be doing, uh, on that Sunday, we'll be doing uh, another chapter, chapter 2, in uh Lutheranism 101 worship. So that gives you a few weeks to get a copy if you haven't got a copy and want a copy. Um, I think they're 14 bucks on Amazon um, or from Concordia if you want to order through the office. Uh, just talk to Marcy and she'll get you a copy. Oh, there's um, maybe 10 or 15 chapters, but we're only doing one a chapter at a time once a month. It's, it's, an, it's got discussion questions in it. Um, and it's easier for me to prepare, um, so that's why I'll throw it in occasionally, um, because uh, Sunday after Easter, or second Sunday after Easter, um, I'm taking that week off, so I need something nice and easy I can, I can do, but it still has good material. So that's what we're doing um, at the end of the month, so I'm just giving you a heads up on that. Okay, let's pray uh, before we begin. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, so I selected uh, Luke 5, 1 through 16. Um, kind of like two stories, but the two stories are... Too small to just devote to themselves, so I put them together. I'm going to read uh, the text here from the Lexham English Bible. Now remember, I told you a couple weeks ago, this Bible is intended to correct or to provide, um, to, to, to show where your translation to, to maybe is not getting it quite right, or, or it's not never a translation you would read from the pulpit, but it's one you use in study. So I'm going to read it from here, and you, you read it in the, the Ritz. A reminder, why is that more accurate than this? Because it's, it was intended to, so the, the Bible you have, rabbit trail. Okay. It's just a sign. No. Yeah. You, you did tell us briefly. So, so the, the RSV or the ESV are revisions of the King James. So they're not a fresh translation. In fact, the ESV is only a 5% revision on the Bible you have sitting there. Um, so just updating a few, right? So there, whereas this translation is, um, it uses the advances in computer technology to be able to... Um, and it went back to the source. They went back to the... It actually used translating the translation. That's right. Um, and and they're, they're using um, computer technology to be able to query all the dictionaries and, and all. If they're, so it's, it's using 
the available technology to provide the most accurate translation that you can. You can't even get a physical. It's not even. It's not even a physical book. They don't even publish it. It's only online. When was that? Uh, maybe about uh, five, six years ago. It's, so it's it's not. It, it comes with the Logos Bible software. You can get it on Bible Gateway if you want to look at it. Um, What's it called? Lexham English Bible. L E B. Um, I started noticing it that when in, in, in seminary, when I would start, when we would do our translations from Greek ourselves, this Bible was almost always bang on what we would need. So you get 90% of that Bible. <laughs> Those yeah. are cold Shh. Shh. Quiet. Don't, don't tell them my strategies. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it from here, the Lexham English Bible. I'll read a little bit slower so that you can follow along. Um, you will notice some of the big changes, I think, in this one will be the tenses of verbs, right? So English teachers, watch for tense. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and hearing the word of God, he was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats there beside the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out from the land a little. And he sat down and began to teach the crowds from the boat. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, although we worked hard through the whole night, we caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a very large number of fish, and their nets began to tear. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled, the, filled both the boats so, they began, so that they began to sink. And when he saw it, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all those who were with him at the catch of fish that they had caught. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were business partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And after they brought their nets, uh, brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And it happened, while he was in one of the towns, there was a man covered with leprosy. And, he, and when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And extending his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy went away from him. And he ordered him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and bring the offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the report about him spread even more, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their, infirm of their illnesses. But he himself was withdrawing in the wilderness and praying. So, any, any, anything strike you in the reading of that that was different than your own translations? It should be. Like I said, I think the only differences this time were tense. 
was doing. Instead catching people instead of men. Yeah, it's probably um, where which. What verse was that in from now on? People 10, yep. Um, that's probably because there are two words. Uh, there are two words in Greek. Um, you'll see um, uh, that in verse 9, is it 9? 8. Peter says, I am a sinful man. The Greek word is vir, V-I-R, from which we get virtue or um, uh, virility, right? That's the actual word for a, a male. The word that's often translated people is anthropos, from which we get the word anthropology. And that's sometimes translated in older translations as men. But it can be translated as people if the context suits it. Because in context, sometimes it's, it's the word for humanity, right? Uh, the children of men, you could say, right? Uh, in that case, the word m- man means people. So it just, it, it gets, um, it, it, they used to not bother us because we used to use the word man as a word for all people. And, and now we don't. Sentence structure. Sentence structure, yes. This will, this will follow more closely the, as, as it can the Greek. So it kind of gives you a... It puts the words in the, in the same order that the Greek does as much as possible, without, as, as English allows. And you also said business partners. Business partners, right. So, so that's obviously telling you the type of partner it is based on the word. Right? Anyway. It's, it's kind of neat to do that. And like I said last time, you can do what I did and just take two translations, copy them, paste them into a Word document, take a highlighter, highlight the differences. It takes you, it, you'll, you'll be surprised what you learn. All right. Interesting. Did the boat sink? Uh, I, <laughs> um, I don't because think the... The water's coming in. Yeah. Peter's going down to yep. thank Christ. Water must be coming around his knees and coming up to his waist as all this is happening. Like I'm just seeing this. Um, I, I don't think the, the um, <laughs> I don't think the fishers, I don't think the boats go too far from the shore, so they must have been able to get them to the shore pretty quickly. Because, or yeah. All right, so let's look at the first question here. Simon knew that Jesus was no fisherman, but. He had enough respect for the teacher not to scoff when Jesus suggested fishing at an absurd time. How did Jesus prove to Simon that he had authority over more than religious things? And what does that say about Jesus' identity and power? Well, the nets were full of fish. The nets were full of fish? How did the nets get to be full of fish? Because Jesus, because of his authority. Right, and, and why exactly is that a miracle? Well, the natural world obeys him. Yes, He's the natural the natural world obeys him. That's right, because fish don't fishermen in Israel don't fish during the day; they fish at night because the fish come up. 
so it's the daytime, so the fish should be sleeping, you know, wherever that, wherever it is, fish sleep. Um, so, but it's more than that, you know, he, he knows exactly where the fish are going to be. He knows that if Simon Peter goes out there and lets down his nets, right, there's going to be fish. Um, what does that say about Jesus' identity and his power? First, identity. What does this tell us who he is? He's God. Yeah, absolutely. He's God. All-powerful. And all-powerful. He knows all things. And he knows all things. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, I, what does it tell us about the connection between the connection between um, our free uh, our actions and God's providence is Peter acting freely yes and no yeah well he he was asked to but is he making a free choice to do it oh yeah, oh, yeah. he's acting freely and 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 yet when in acting freely, God's working, right? Jesus is, is working a miracle through this guy's choice. And he knows what's going to happen. Uh, that's why the fish, the fish are there and, and all this. Jesus, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this, this, show, this has a good example of how God works in general in our lives. Um, just a thought that it occurred to me. All right, so we have... We see that Jesus has authority over more than religious things, and he did, and he he demonstrates that with the fish, um, and this shows that Jesus is is God in the flesh, that he has almighty power, and um, that he knows all things. Any other, any other, anybody else want to comment on on question one? All right, let's go on to question two. Hopefully you understood this question. Put yourself in Peter in the place of Peter in this story. Think about what you normally do day after day and imagine that Jesus suddenly appearing and asking you for help and then asking you to do something in your own area of expertise. What might be going through your mind during the events described in verses 5, 1 through 4? So Jesus pops into the architectural firm of Ritz <laughs> and, and he asks for your help yeah no I just this is when the term Jesus Christ became the first curse word Peter, <laughs> Jesus Christ do you believe that yeah, no, <laughs> because it actually happened right and he was actually saying to Jesus I can't believe that happened so so imagine Simon Peter walks into Ritz architecture and he asks for your help and he asks you to do something that you know is impossible. Like and, most yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then with a snap of his fingers he shows he's more of an expert than you, even though you know he's not, and he has the power to do the impossible. So the question is asking what might be going put your, basically put yourself in Peter's shoes. Put it in your situation. What's going what might go through your mind? Be very skeptical. Skeptical? I can't see how this is going to work, but 
We'll yeah. try it. We'll try it, yeah. Who does he think he is? That's I right. time for this. That's Let right. Let me finish this first. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm tired and I want to go home. That's right. I've been up all night, yeah. right? I just washed my nets. I just washed my nets. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to wash them again. Oh. And what does it tell us about Peter that he's willing to, all right, if you say so. We have some respect for this person. Right. And and he's... he's, What's the relationship before this? It's the first time Simon shows up in the picture. In in this gospel, it's the first time Simon shows up. But he has met him before in John's gospel. John's gospel gives us the first meeting. Remember, So before this, you have... um, the. Andrew, was it Andrew, his brother, runs and tells him, we found the Messiah. And then um, Peter, Jesus gives him the name Peter, because uh, his name is, is Simon. And they, he, Jesus gives him the nickname Peter, which is kind of like Rocky. <laughs> right? Um, and, um, and then uh, they go to the, they have the, the, the wedding in Cana. So he was willing to be humored by it. Yeah. And, and so he's seen a one miracle. He's seen the wedding in Cana. Uh, but he's not a full-time, full-time follower yet. He's still fishing. He's so. a naturally passive individual. I mean, <laughs> this is the same guy that ran and hid and denied him. That's right. At the crucifixion. Yes, that's right. This is our patron saint, so to speak. Um, that's right. Um... Yeah, who was married? I don't. I forgot. I don't know if I mentioned that last week. No, but that's hilarious. He has so a he has a mother-in-law. So, you know, Peter, who the Roman Catholic Church claims is the first pope. Last week we saw that he had a mother-in-law, which means he was married. So there you go. Well, it took what thirteen centuries later when they changed the rules. <laughs> Peter uh, wasn't Roman Catholic. No, no. I'm just saying it's silly. It's that's silly to say that. It's silly to say the Pope can't be married if you claim that Peter is the first Pope because he was clearly married because he has a mother-in-law. <laughs> um, anyway, all right, so we, we've, we've taken a moment and we've put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Um, and I think that's an important step in this, in, in this text. When you see these texts, Martin Luther has a great, um, I don't know what to call it, uh, saying about reading the Gospels. When you're reading the Gospels, place yourself in the story. Obviously, you're not Jesus, but place yourself in the story with the people whom Jesus is interacting with. And imagine the story um, that way. Um, and, and think about for a second, how would you react? What, like, put yourself in those shoes. And, and that, um, put yourself in the room. Yeah. Because uh, when you read Scripture, Jesus is coming to you. Um, so it's that question too is to get you to stop and think now what was Peter thinking what was going through his mind what would you know alright question three what is Peter's response to Jesus and why what's his response why do you think Jesus' authority over fish profoundly affected him Chosen to be the creator, so he's a simple man. Simple man can't stand in the presence of God. Right. 
We read that verse on Wednesday, didn't we? Um, remember, Moses wants to see God's face. And God says, you cannot see me and yet live. So he shows him his back. Um, Peter has that moment, doesn't he? He Something suddenly clicks. Um, and so, so let's just put an emotion on it. What is the emotion, the reaction that he has once he sees this? Terror. Terror. Sheer terror. You know, he's scared. Oh, goodness me. What is, you know, who is this guy? Right? Peter gets it. Um, he's the first to get it. Of, of, uh, one of the first to get it. Um, depart from me. What does he call him? Lord. Lord. What did he call him earlier? Doesn't he change his, doesn't he change what he, yes, yes. Verse five. What does he call him in verse five? Master. Master. And now he, before he was master, which is a, what you would tell a, a respectful, um, term you would give to a teacher. But now he switched and now he calls him Lord. And, and so what's, why is that important? I've said it in a couple studies. Did he use master in that one as well? Yeah, he uses master, yep. Like in the text. Yeah, master. It's, it's probably, if I had to guess, I don't have my Greek with me, but it's probably, if it's master, it's going to be despotes. You can hear the English word in there, despot, um, master. Um, it's it's a it's a word used to describe. Um, I thought maybe what's going through my head is like when you talk to a bellhop, they always refer to you as sir. Well, sir, that isn't what you do. Right? Yeah. You're you're, on a, you're meeting a client through the mechanic, right? Well, sir, we don't do it that way. Sir, I'll check your plugs for you, but I don't think it's them. Yeah. So the commentary here says. Master, the word is not rabbi, as in the other evangelists, uh, but it's a, uh, a word Gentiles would not have understood. Um, but the word is, oh, um, um, episata, um, which um, is master in the classical sense of, of teacher. So it's, it's something you would call your teacher. It's the, the term in the Greek world that they would have called their teacher. Um, so, um, so that's so that's so. But notice he changes it, and he, and, and he changes him, and now he calls him in verse eight, kurios, and we use that word still to this day in our in our worship, kurie eleison, Lord, have mercy on me. So, why? What does, what does Lord refer to? Who's it? Confession. It's now confessed his belief. Yeah, but what does the name switch imply that he's seen? What does what is what does it mean to call Jesus Lord here? That he believes that it is. Who is the Lord? Jesus. God. Thank you. Lord is, remember, God has a personal name. It's Yahweh. Remember? And Yahweh is translated in the Old Testament as soon as it wasn't translated into other languages as Lord in whatever language. In Greek, 
it would be curious. We do the same thing. If you switch to any, go to, go to the Psalms in any Bible. Just, just open up to a random Psalm. And, and you should be able to see it. Just, yes, well, see, you should be able to see capitals on Lord. You guys see that? That's because when you see capitals on, your, on Lord, substitute the word in your head for Yahweh. And that is the correct way to read it. Is that what he said here? No, he would have called him Kurios. They don't, he doesn't speak Hebrew. He's not, but... But like, is he implying the same thing? Yeah, he's implying the same thing because he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. You wouldn't say that to a teacher. You wouldn't even say that to a prophet. But you say that to one who has the power to command fish to appear in nets, right? Um, this is the same thing like in um, Isaiah chapter 6. You guys remember that? Isaiah is, is worshiping in the temple. And all of a sudden... The, the, the heavens are opened and he sees the cherubim going holy, holy, holy. And what does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the tribe of unclean lips. And, I, and woe is me, because I have seen the king, the Lord. And then the angel grabs the coal from the altar and cleanses his lips. You guys remember that story? This is Peter. This is, this is Peter's having the same kind of moment. And so, um, but I want you to notice, you can see that he's, the lights have suddenly come on, even in the way he addresses Jesus. It's interesting when he says, I am a sinful man. How many of us, I don't know, if, if I saw the Lord, I wouldn't probably say I'm a sinful person. I would. I've been good. <laughs> I've been good. <laughs> I just think that's very important statement to realize like did he realize that Adam and Eve created the first sin and it's gone through all this period of time so how did he know he was a sinful man? Well I mean he, he has all the stories of Adam and Eve right they have the Torah, they've got the whole Old Testament they've got the Psalms, they've got lots of, they've got the first yeah, half they of They didn't them. have much printed material for him to read everything would probably be in word of mouth well, the, scrolls. Well, they, they would have went. They would have heard it every Sunday, every but Saturday. A would go well, and, well, if a fisherman would go to church. They would go to synagogue. A, a naturally, action. If you saw somebody who was the Almighty, you wouldn't have to read and learn that you're sinful. I think it would you just suddenly, eternally realize. <laughs> yeah, there's really so so there, there's the the. the um, he knows, how does a fisherman know his Old Testament stories? Well, he, th number one, that's their national history. Those are the bedtime stories they tell them. Oh, okay. And also, um, every Saturday, they would go to synagogue and they would hear somebody who was literate, if they were not literate, read from, um, they had a, they had a, a three-year lectionary. They had, uh, uh, where they would go through sequentially, Every reading, just like we do the Gospels, they would do the, the, the first five books of the Bible, and then the second lesson for them would have been the, the rest of the Old Testament. And so if he's growing up hearing that, he's he, just like some, a good church boy who knows the stories about Jesus because he went to Sunday school. Um, they would have known all those stories. But he knows he's a sinner, and, and this, this is, I think, 
there's an important point to be made here. Mm, and the, so. and the important point is, I think our, 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 our world now, we have a tendency to not think of ourselves that way. No, that's right. Um, we have a tendency to downplay that and, and or ignore it. Um, and as soon as he comes in contact with an otherworldly being who is God, right, in the flesh, as soon as he, re- he dawns on him that God is in front of him, he realizes I'm he's toast. He also, by the way, this is the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant really highlights their sinfulness. That's the other thing. He would have known he was a sinner because every time he, he touched an unclean body, he would have had to stay unclean. And, you know, all those purity laws were there to make sure it was ingrained in them that they are sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he would have known that he was a sinner. And then he knows. So there's, there's an important point there. Um, sometimes we think, well, you know, as one popular teacher um, who used to be in Missouri Synod, um, said, um, how'd she say it? Um, I am not a sinner. That is what I was. And if I was still a sinner and, and, and uh, um, then Jesus died in vain because you can't be righteous and a sinner at the same time. Joyce, Joyce Meyer, um, who used to be Missouri Synod. So she goes, I, it's even better. She goes, I am not poor. I am not miserable. I am not a sinner. Where does she get those words? TLH, page 15, because she was raised Missouri Synod. <laughs> um, uh, so that, that's a common belief out there. Um, now, who knows if she still believes that? It could have been a one-off statement. And who knows? I don't know. Who is this person? Joyce Meyer, very popular, um, yeah. charismatic woman's teacher. Very popular. On TV. Somebody On TV. put two Joyce Meyer's books in our little church library. So, but but it's hard. This is this is this is a hard a hard thing that we we need to be like Peter. Realize we come in contact with God every week, and why do you, why do we start the service with confession of sin? Because we're entering into God's presence, right? That's why that's 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 why we we do that. But even like that, even if he wasn't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Why? Like, yeah. Because it's like, I think you inherently know that you're dealing with something it's almost instinctual like you know when you it's almost instinctual isn't it so, like, think about I think about a bird I, we have a bird feeder on our deck as soon as one of my kids runs to that door the, what do the birds do they fly away they're scared of us it, it's not even rational it's 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 natural right it, it's instinct um and I, there might be a little bit of that too whoa you know these are we're dealing with an order of being one higher than us so there might be a little bit of of that there yeah, like seeing an angel 
So question four is uh, question four is is um, kind of an introspective question. Um, have you ever seen Jesus' authority over all life like Simon did? If so, how did the experience affect you? How, what would get you to react as strongly as Peter? I've seen miracles over time in my life. Sure. But to see an instantaneous miracle like Simon did. Yeah. I'd be just as scared and <laughs> react just the same way you did. We probably would, we all would be. I think when I, like when I was in grade seven or eight, um, I got hit by a car on my bicycle. I was behind the car that suddenly stopped and the person opened the door. And my instinct was, oh, I'm not gonna ride to the door. I went out this way and I got hit by an oncoming car. What I remember, and I don't remember getting hit, but what the police officer told me that like I was flung from about here to that wall to the next telephone pole. I don't remember that. And my bicycle was like an accordion. And the police officer told my mom that like I didn't have a scratch on me. <laughs> he said she should not be here. And that that would probably be the closest thing to me <laughs> that would be kind of a miracle. Yeah. Now um yeah. The other thing to consider is while we might not always have miracles, we do always have the authority of Jesus uh, through his word. Um, and, and we don't always react when we hear Jesus in the word. We don't react the same way that Simon does. Um, and and that's, that's something to consider. Question five. How do Peter, James, and John ultimately respond to Jesus' invitation? Um, closed up shop and left. They closed up shop and left. What is Jesus' invitation, by the way? Come, come, what? No, no, but what, what's the invitation that he gives to, to Peter? Catch men. Mm hmm. Um, You'll be catching men. Yeah, there's more there, though. Uh, is Listen it, to me. Um, yeah, you'll be catching men. That's what I want, but it doesn't have it here, does it? Oh, that is silly. See, this is why we don't like trade. Okay, um, what about 10? Yeah, okay, here, let me use the other one here. Let me read this same thing. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people alive. I don't know why they dropped alive, because that's a very important distinction. He makes, he's, he says the, the words in the Greek and they, didn't, they decided not to translate it. You will be capturing, King James would say, you would be capturing men, men alive, people alive. Now, that's interesting because when you catch fish, what happens to them? They eventually die. They die. When Jesus catches you, <laughs> you live. <laughs> it's the opposite. All right, I just wanted to make that point. But you're catching men alive. Okay, so they close up shop and they follow. What kinds of people is Jesus just calling to be his disciples? Ordinary 
ordinary people. Ordinary people. These are ordinary folk, right? They're not super bright religious people um, because the, the best and brightest religious people are taken to become rabbis and scribes. Um, if you displayed any sort of ability as, as a kid, you know, you'd be taken off and, and become a rabbi. So these guys are just average folk, blue-collar folk, we would say. And Jesus wants them to be his, you know, think about... Blue-collar. It's a range set, right? Yeah. Like Luke? But Luke's not one of the 12. Well, Matthew wasn't blue-collar, but these guys are blue-collar. I said Matthew wasn't blue-collar. Right. Right. Um, Matthew's a tax collector, so he's got probably got a little bit of money. Right? Um, Simon is called, the, the other Simon, is called the zealot. We would say the terrorist. <laughs> um, so he's got he's Jesus. the guy with the machine gun yeah, he, no seriously he's the guy with the machine gun he's the guy who wants to overthrow the Romans Jesus has got a, a, a crazy crew of people together how, what is this, how does this serve to remind you of your own sinfulness your sin, weakness and need as well as the rich mercy and grace that God has shown you in Christ He's asking them, Jesus is asking them to physically leave everything that they've got and follow him. I don't know whether I can do that. <laughs> Seriously though, right? Um, these guys gave up everything, their whole fishing business, to follow him. I mean, in, in the first centuries, in the first century in Acts, it says that they, they actually sold the, the rich, those who were rich who had extra property sold their extra property and gave all that money to the church. How many of us would sell our vacation home and donate that money to the church here? I mean, that's, that, that requires such a radical... Vacation home, your house. Yeah, your... Yeah. Yeah. You're saying yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? So, I mean... Next level of faith. And yet, Jesus is willing to use... Jesus doesn't dispute with him. He doesn't say you're not a sinner. He says, "I'll make come with me, and I'll and you'll be catching men." Uh, uh, so, pastors are are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. <laughs> that's right. Um, the, that's what evangelism is. It's it's telling other. It's one sinner telling another sinner where to find mercy and grace. That's it. There's nothing special. Two more than that. All right, what time is it? I don't. I can't collect. I got twenty-two. All right. Um, let's um, roll through the last few questions pretty quickly. Um, we'll skip question six. We'll let that be a, a thing to reflect on. Uh, how would you act based on the authority? Think of the authority of Jesus that comes to you through the Word. Um, how should you act when uh, when God makes demands of you through the word. Uh, think about that through the week. All right, seven. Um, what's significant about how Jesus heals this leper? Uh, remember, lep leprosy um, is not just Hansen's disease, the flesh-eating thing. Uh, in the ancient times, leprosy covered over seven, what we would term 70 different skin diseases. So it could be a whole bunch of things. But 
Acne. Probably not acne. Um, what did, so, um, he touches him. Why is that significant? He touches him, so he became unclean. He should, he should have become unclean. That's exactly it. Instead, what happens? Yeah, he's healed. Right? So normally what happens if it, it, the person is unclean, you touch them, you're unclean. With Jesus, it goes the other way. <laughs> That's really important. Now, what does it tell you about Jesus' character that he actually touches them? touches him he's taking the uncleanliness on himself right but think about more about the practical what does this tell you about who jesus is as a person the fact that this guy has never been touched in probably decades however long he's been just compassionate yeah he knows that this guy has not been touched and so he touches him it's it's a it's a display of immense compassion and and love for this guy to be able to reach out your hand and touch someone who hasn't been touched and hugged in, in years um, parallel from me back to creation god created everything with his word but then he made man yes i'm thinking with his hands <laughs> yeah before yeah before yeah that's right um now let's start to go into what nathan said in question eight, how does his that healing comfort you? I mean, Jesus healed a leper. So what? Well, we know if we pray and ask for healing, you know, um, he doesn't always heal or answer the prayers we think we want, but he does always answer our prayers. Sure. So you can ask him for actual healing, and sometimes he actually listens, right? Or he always listens, but sometimes he acts upon it. So with this leper, I want you to see that what Nathan said, Jesus is able, instead of uh, the uncleanness being infectious, Jesus, his purity, his goodness, his power, it's the infectious thing, <laughs> right? He touches and his holiness, his purity reaches out and it, it's infectious the other way. Um, I want you to see that because that's comforting to us because we come in contact with Jesus numerous ways in a, throughout the week and especially on Sunday. And his holiness is infectious to us. In some of the miracles, um, Jesus says to the person, your faith has made you well. Right. Um, so, did he know these lepers had faith, or Jesus just decided to heal the lepers? Well, they, they went to Jesus, so they had faith. Yeah, they went to yeah. So he shows he has faith. Uh, if if you are willing, you can. So he obviously believes that Jesus has the ability to do this, um, and and that's why he he does it. Um, One thing I noticed is it's important that he comes to the leper in their sin and touches them where they're at in their sin. Yeah. So you don't have to become clean of your sin to yep. for Jesus to come. And and then the, like whatever it might be leprosy, it might be something else. Right. And then he tells him to go 
and show himself to the priests. Which means go prove it to them so that you can be reintegrated into society. So that you can go home to your family. So you can, right? That's, so that, that's what's going on there. Right, he's not replacing the law. He's fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling the law, right? He's, the, the law says you were to touch, not to touch the unclean person. But he's the one who made it. And it doesn't work the way that way, right? All right. And then the last verse, two verses there, what does Jesus do? Uh, the last verse specifically, 16. He went to pray. So Jesus takes time during, the, during, during his busy schedule, healing people, um, he takes time to withdraw and pray. And that should tell us something of our priorities too, that we need to take time to withdraw and pray. Um, so when he is praying, is he discussing with the Father what is to come in the future? Probably. He probably also doing standard, whatever standard Jew prayers Jewish Jews did of, of, in the first century. Um, but but why, yeah, there's I mean, a little... Why would he have to ask for forgiveness? Like, he wouldn't have to ask for forgiveness. No. Right? No. So his prayers would be significantly different than mm-hmm. what right. Jesus, right? Right. No. Now, the other thing is... Um, um, did you notice it says a great crowd or multitude of people came to see Jesus and then it uses the same word to describe the fish there was a great crowd or multitude of fish that got into the the fish symbolize the people out there there's two boats Jew and Gentile right? so there's a little bit of symbolism going on there um, and um, we, we are losing time here. And uh, I think the main point of the passage is probably um, go make, you know, um, go and, and become sin, uh, uh, fisher's men, I think would be the main, the main priorities. Priorities, yep. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, sent your Son into the world to. Uh, heal us of our spiritual illnesses uh, and we thank you that you you come to us where we are you you pick us up and you um, uh, re- uh, realign our priorities we ask O oh lord that you would help us to trust uh, in in your goodness and mercy towards us and help us to also tell other sinners where they can find such mercy and grace and this we ask through jesus christ our lord amen You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.